1: Today, we're going to be in Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 7. This is a remarkable vision that Isaiah has of the Lord. And this is something that takes place when Isaiah is first called by God to be his prophet. You would think that this would come at the beginning of the book, because chronologically, that's where it belongs. But we've had these first five chapters, which have kind of disclose to us the pattern of this book. The the first several chapters are a microcosm of the book at large, and that is just the announcement of God's judgment through his prophet Isaiah on the people of Israel for their sin, calling them to repentance, to turn from their sin, to receive his forgiveness, and declaring to them what's going to happen if they don't turn from their sin, and what could happen beneficially if they do repent. And of course, all of this harsh judgment and prophetic language is totally justified, because as we'll see in this text, God is holy, he's perfect, he's blameless, he's sinless, and we are the opposite of that. And something needs to be fixed in order for us to be in fellowship with him. We need to turn from our sin, and eventually what we'll find out is that God's going to Back in Isaiah's time, he's going to punish a lot of Israelites for being unfaithful to the covenant, but he's going to preserve a handful of them. Eventually, Jesus Christ is going to come out of that line. He's going to live the perfect life that no one could live, and then he's going to die bearing the sin of those who would put their faith in him. He's going to rise, defeating sin, death, and the power of the devil, so that when people, even today, from every tribe, tongue, or nation, put their faith and trust in Christ, they can be grafted into the family of God. They can be part of his kingdom as his covenant sons and daughters. So when there is no solution that is human in its inception, when there's no way for humans to obey perfectly the law of God, there's no way for humans to repent and live according to the precepts, the rules, the commandments, the perfection that God is calling them to through Isaiah back in the 700s B.C., he provides another way, and that's Jesus Christ. What great news that is. But here, let's see in Isaiah 6, 1 through 7, where this all started with Isaiah. In the year that King Isaiah died, by the way, let me give you some insight into Uzziah. He was a king of Judah, and he started out faithful like many of the kings did, but then he became proud and haughty, and he burned incense to the Lord, which was not his role. And when the priests called him out on that, he became obstinate, and the Lord struck him with leprosy. He spent the le- the rest of his reign in a house that was separate from everybody else because he had leprosy, and his son Jotham kind of co-reigned with him as a co-regent, and he eventually died. And so this happens in the year that King Uzziah died. This is the people of Israel being totally unfaithful and sinning against God, just like they did throughout the Kings and the Chronicles, and In the year that King Uzziah died, I, Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So there's this scene where Isaiah is given a vision of really sounds like the throne room of God. And it sounds like a heavenly version of the earthly temple. And you've got these perfect, superhuman, fiery, angelic beings, these seraphim that are kind of flying. And even they are totally humbled in the presence of God. They've covered their face and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Now, that kind of falls on our ears without much effect, that holy, 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 because we've been in a culture of Christianity and religious living and thinking where that's, it's a phrase that's in hymns. It's a phrase that's in songs. We hear holy, holy, holy all the time, but we can't, Overstate the meaning of that threefold repetition of holy. Holy means perfect, separate, set apart. And God isn't just perfect, separate, and set apart, but He's like that cubed holy, 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 to the third degree and even beyond. This is perfection beyond what you can fathom. This is separateness beyond what you can fathom. And what is Isaiah's response when he is in the presence of this? It's exactly what your or my response would be, even if you're the most moral person on your block, even if you've got the best church attendance and the most Bible knowledge and and you've sinned the least of anyone you know, you and I would have the same response that Isaiah is is having when he's confronted with the absolute holiness of God in comparison with his sin his brokenness his stain and the people he lives with he says woe is me for i am lost i'm a man of unclean lips and i dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips he immediately goes to confessing his sin he he immediately goes to acknowledging his brokenness before the lord and this is the kind of guy who God is going to use to be his spokesman and his prophet. This is something we can take from this text. We want to be God's representative and do that well. If that's the case, we need to be humble before him, and we need to acknowledge willingly and repetitively how broken and sinful we are. Then, again, as we've seen already in Isaiah, God, in his grace, sends this seraph with a a hot coal and touches his lips— And by doing that, he atones for Isaiah's sin. And so Isaiah has been atoned for in a way that God chose to do it before Jesus Christ was around in his specific case. And in doing so, Isaiah is equipped and prepared to go be God's spokesman to the people of Israel. Tomorrow, we're going to look at specifically what the Lord says after this to commission Isaiah and its inspiring as well. Lord, help us to acknowledge you as holy. That's where this all starts. Because if you're not holy, then we're not that bad. And if we're not that bad, we don't need a Savior. But we do need a Savior because you are holy and we are very bad. We fall short beyond what we can imagine. Lord, would you give us the kind of humility that comes from understanding that? And then would you, by your grace, cleanse us and allow us to be effective instruments in your hand for your work, for your glory, for the